I am Leia Ajayi, consultant urological surgeon from the Royal Free Hospital in London, England. On behalf of the Endourology Society and Journal of Endourology, I welcome you to this open channel podcast sponsored by Cook Medical. You may recall from our previous podcast with Dr. Thomas Tilly from Belgium and Dr. Roger Sue from San Diego's USA. Uh, we are continuing the discussion with Professor Raymond Koo, consultant urologist and clinical associate professor of University of Sydney, Australia. Welcome, um, Dr. Koo. Thank you for the invitation to this meeting. Pleasure. Today, we're going to carry on our discussion with you on the challenging, uh, on the changing mm. trends in PCNL. Uh, first question to ask you really, uh, are you a prone man or a supine PCNL man? I'm interested to get your view and whether you do one or the other and why, why you choose one versus the other. So um, I was brought up in prone because I did my training with Professor John Denstead in uh, London, Ontario in okay. Canada. So, um, you know, since I've been in consultancy practice now for just over 15 years, uh, 80% of the cases I do prone, but over the last few years, I've uh, also uh, incorporated supine uh, in my practice. And uh, there are benefits of both, uh, but my bias is prone still. So uh, you know, in the cases, yeah. Like, like everything, there's a learning curve, isn't there? Um, for your supine PCNL, do you, do you undertake the endoscopic combined approach at all? What are your thoughts on that? So I do endoscopic combined for all my cases, prone and supine. So oh, interesting. Um, yeah, so obviously for um, supine, uh, supine is a more natural way of doing it, but for prone with the technique that uh, we've incorporated, it's actually a far more precise technique in our hands. Um, so yeah, it, there's no limitations. Yes. It's interesting. And do you find that if from the prone position doing endoscopic combined, the person who's doing the retrograde access is your anatomy the same or is your deflection the same? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so initially it does take a little bit of getting used to because Absolutely. I, I guess it's like going to a dentist in that, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, for a dentist when they're working in a mirror, everything's a little bit backwards, but like everything, yeah. like driving a car, the skills do come. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of my practice is also in teaching and training and the trainees do a lot of the uh, of these procedures. And, you know, they take to it like a duck to water. So Yes, it is a little bit different initially, but it's not insurmountable at all. No, not at all. Well, listen, let's just move on to the topic of track uh, dilatation. Um, you know, the whole miniaturization of PCNL, it's very much in vogue and it's in everyone's thoughts. Mm. The question to ask you really, can we throw away the 30 French sheath? I mean, do you ever dilate to 30 French when doing a PCNL? Uh, not anymore. Uh, about three years ago, I went to uh, Beijing in China and uh, I saw them use a lot more 24 French. And uh, when I said I used 30 French, they laughed at me. So uh, since that time, I guess we came back and explored it. And realistically for 24 French, there's no, there's no disadvantages at all in using Indeed. a 24 French compared to a 30 French. Indeed. So you'll find that most centers now, 24 French is kind of a standard. It's the largest they go. There's no real indication to go. Uh, to uh, a 30 French. Can you think of any reason? I can't personally, but no. can you think of any reason why you might want to go to 30 French instead of a 24? Not these days with the new energy modalities in yeah. existence, like the um, trilogy and the shock pulse, where okay. the techniques don't, don't need you to go to uh, 30 French because you're not, okay. 
necessarily pulling out large stones anymore, you know, no, or getting uh, uh, pulverised. Indeed. We'll, we'll talk about energy delivery in, in a second, but also out of interest, in terms of track dilatation, uh, do you tend to use the uh, balloons like the old tracks or do you use the coaxial um, dilators when yeah, you're so, doing up to uh, 24 French? When I do up to 24 French, I use a balloon dilator as a routine. Uh, I guess we're very fortunate in our healthcare system, it's available. And plats only occasionally, especially for the more difficult tracks or the scar yeah. tracks where we Correct. have to uh, take it up serially. But uh, outside of that, uh, balloon is a way okay. to up. All right. Well, let's talk a little about miniaturization. Uh, what If you were to do a mini PCNL or ultra mini, what size track uh, do you that is your preferred for doing mini PCNL? So uh, 16 uh, French is our preferred track because the uh, Storts uh, have a mini perk set and the 16 track is the one that's part of the reusable setup and uh, yes. we find it pretty useful. So that that's quite... And in terms of the size of stone, uh, what is the, the largest stone? What is your uh, cutoff from when you go from your um, 14 French? Did you say 14 French? Um, 20, oh, 16, 16 French. 16 French. Perk. Yeah, 16 French. Yeah. But what's your cutoff uh, if you're going to do a mini perk versus a 24 French? What size stone uh, would you... Look, I've done staghorns with uh, mini perk track, but uh, from a time and motion and efficiency point of view, that can get quite frustrating. Quite right. But with the high, <laughs> but, but with the high powered lasers, it's definitely doable. And uh, especially when you can put a 550 micron uh, fiber in, yeah, but in general, but in general from a, uh, an efficiency, from a patient safety, from uh, you know all the other variabilities in an operating system, I'll probably just limit a mini perk track to say, you know, up to a two centimetre stone in uh, volume yeah. where yeah. you don't really lose that much in time while something much larger, uh, you know, as long as the calyx and the uh, sheath size allows it, I would then just go for, you know, a proper energy source yes. and uh, break it down. But do you find that with your smaller, your mini perk, your visualisation might be affected at all? Do you think it compromises you in any way? Um, not necessarily. Obviously, it depends on the track. So hopefully you get a track in which doesn't bleed. And, uh, you know, that was part of the reason I shifted over to endoscopic combined is that you can make more, far more precise tracks, which are pretty well bloodless uh, majority yes. of the time. Obviously, it's not all the time. And um, so I don't find vision too much of an issue. Uh, obviously, it's how you put your, you know, it's a combination of fluid input and uh, fluid output and uh, track size. So um, you know, we we do put fluid in under pressure uh, to a degree, which allows us to uh, uh, improve the vision. Yes. Well, we're talking a little bit about energy uh, devices that we use for PCNL. I, I wonder whether you could just talk me through uh, your armamentarium that you have. If you're doing a 24 French uh, sheath, uh, do you use homium or do you use ballistics or ultrasonic? Obviously, for your yeah. smaller mini PCLs, you have the option out there now in the technology of using high-powered laser or or thulium fiber laser technology. Yes. But can you just talk me through what you do in both situations? So let's talk about twenty-four French track. You know, you've got a okay. decent size piece uh, staggering calculi. You've got beautiful yep. access. Uh, what energy source do you use and why? So twenty-four French track. I'd like to get a full-size instrument in. 
I usually get a 3.6 to 4 millimeter probe. Uh, the Olympus shock pulse is what we have uh, in our hospitals. But we also uh, do have access to the uh, other device, the MS Trilogy, uh, and both are superb uh, uh, in terms of uh, what they need to achieve. You know, one works yes. probably a little bit better than the other, but um, okay. they're both very, very efficient in being able to uh, break down the stone, grind down the stone uh, using ultrasound energy, using suction, and all the fragments just drain out uh, to suck up. So, yes. uh, so for a full size track, if I'm going to take um, you know, the little bit added risk of putting a 24 French track in, you know, a patient, I want to make sure I use it for the right reason. And yes, you know, I want to use yes. a large stoke and I want to put a, a larger uh, probe in okay. and being able to treat it clearly. Okay, thank you. And that's for larger. And for your mini PCNL, uh, what sort of laser do you have? Uh, and what sort of settings do you use for your homium laser, for example? Yes. And, and also, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on the newer technology with the thelium fiber laser uh, technology that's out there. I'd be interested to get your thoughts yeah. on where you see this uh, as far as um, energy use during a PCNL or mini yeah, So, in, ter in terms of the homium laser, we have uh, high powered lasers and uh, you know, if it is a large... Asking which, which brand? Which brand do you use, uh, please? So, so we use a Quanta, a Quanta 100-watt okay. laser. Okay. The, uh, um, and the usual fibre we use is a 550-micron uh, fibre. Uh, sometimes we use a uh, the 365 if we want to also use it down the flexible scope as well when we do uh, endoscopic combined intrarenal surgery, just so we don't have to open up a separate fibre. Okay. for that but in general the 500 micron a 550 micron fiber is probably the best in terms of efficiency uh power and uh time okay to being able so to while, achieve our outcome okay whilst we're talking on the quanta laser i don't know whether you uh, have any thoughts for our listeners uh regarding some of the propriety technology on that particular laser in particular the the virtual basket and the vapor tunnel settings uh, doing a mini, yeah. doing a mini uh, PCNL. Any thoughts on yeah. on that the proprietary technology there? Yeah. Look, um, in terms of specifics of it, I don't think it makes too much of a difference because I think the idea of a mini perk being able to use a laser is that most of the fluid's coming back towards you anyway. So the the actual fragments are actually uh, coming towards your scope in any event. So the virtual basket, I know what it's trying to describe, where the stones are suspended so-called in the middle of the view uh, probably doesn't necessarily apply to it um, by definition but i think the the actual fact where the um, uh, fluid is actually coming towards your lens uh, yes. during a mini perk procedure because that's the path of least resistance is coming back out uh, is what allows the uh, stones to uh, stick to the uh, uh, stick to the track yes because it wants to drain out rather than being pushed away Correct. And you probably find that probably in the supine position, would you say just because the gravity is less of a, yeah. you're not working against gravity, that in the supine Sup position might be easier than is, that Absolutely. If, in some ways, supines, the trouble is there's too many bubbles that go in because everything's yes. just draining out too quickly. So, uh, <laughs> Good point. Uh, so it's actually hard to distend up the system in supine. But, uh, but no, supine's great. Uh, okay. Obviously, yeah, more efficient. And, and 
Indeed. And what about TFL technology, please, uh, what on, on PC, mini PC? I mean, this is all relatively new technology. And I, I, I guess no one has the definitive answer, but I'd be interested to get your thoughts, uh, Raymond, yeah, on so, um, so TFL technology. So we were very fortunate in being one of the first centres in Australia to actually have trialled the uh, unit. And um, look, I think it's still uh, in evolution. Uh, the settings that they have, uh, in many ways, you know, the fact that you can actually uh, have a very low dual rate and a very high hertz rate is meant to be able to be good for dusting. But what I found is, um, you know, it's it's different compared to holmium laser in terms of Indeed. the way this st stone is breaking. I probably find a little bit more less efficient, to be honest, when I started dealing with the much larger stones with the uh, TFL. I don't think the efficiency is as good as a home in laser and really what I've learned is that retropulsion is sometimes a good thing is uh, where, <laughs> yes. the, where, where the TFL yes. uh, has less retropulsion but the uh, trade-off in that is that it's probably a little bit less efficient in certain settings so the settings I've started to use more recently is actually exactly the same as the home in laser settings uh, Interesting. In, in trying to mimic the, um, the retropulsion trying to get a little bit into it especially for the larger stones uh, you know, obviously in PCNL, you don't need to get the stones down to dust completely because you've got a well, you've got a larger track. I mean, this is this is the discussion, isn't it? TFL and PCNL. When you do mini PCNL, the, the assumption is you're dusting, but actually you're not dusting. You want to fragment to a small enough piece and eliminate the stone. Uh, yeah. The peak power, the peak power on the TFL technology is so low compared to that of holmium laser. Uh, hence, your ability to fragment. Um, is affected. So I can see the TFL technology in in uh, PCNLs might be a, might be an issue. Uh, but this is uh, we are still learning about this, aren't we? We're still learning. I agree about the efficiency of this technology, and it's interesting. In your unit in a unit like yours that seem to have access to uh, both the, the homium and the TFL technology. Uh, which one would you choose, Raymond? If you had a choice, if you had one, if you were a unit that didn't have weren't as blessed as your unit in terms of funding for all this technology. If, if uh, you know, the so a unit in the outskirts of Sydney, yeah, and they want they yes. came to you for they came to you for advice. Um, you know, yeah. Professor, Professor Koo, we need to buy one laser. Can you tell us whether we yeah. buy TFO technology or do we buy homium laser? I just wanted your thoughts on that. Look, I at the uh, moment. At the moment. <laughs> At the moment, look, let me see. I, don't, I, don't, mean, a bit. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just wanted your <laughs> uh, thoughts. Uh, pure, uh, look, in all honesty, I think uh, TFL is still brand new technology. We still need to know exactly its capability. It's probably 1.0 of the technology. So 2.0, I have no doubt, will be much better yes. in time. Mm -hmm. uh, at this stage, look, I'm a traditionalist. You know, I think um, Holmium laser. Uh, is much more versatile in that it can be used for yeah. stones, it can be used for type of soft tissue much better. There are positive elements to TFL, which is um, outside of the laser fiber as well. Um, so everyone has pros and cons. Um, it's not necessarily stone breakage that is a dictating factor. You know, sometimes it's a plug on the wall in that TFL, uh, you don't need to have um, a high powered plug. Uh, Correct. A thirty-two amps pocket. You don't need a thirty-two amp. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, uh, it's not a nicer screen uh, in the ones that we've used and we've seen. So, 
uh, it swings and roundabouts. But at this stage, um, I think it's still brand new. Uh, we've, we've got both units. We've been very fortunate. Uh, but look, I think at this stage, um, January 2022, uh, it's still uh, it's still very early days. We've got to work out exactly uh, well, what the settings what, are, what the applications. What what I can say, Raymond, is you're a fantastic politician. <laughs> I, I think you you've covered. But this is the true fact. The fact is, we the jury's still out. Uh, we yeah. don't really know. Um, you know, you 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 very nicely gave us the pros and cons of both uh, Holmium as well as TFL technology. Uh, and the, I think I agree with you. The jury is still out, and it's too early uh, to say one is better than the other. We're still learning about TFL technology. I do like your response. Yeah. So thank you very much for that. For for that. Uh, moving on a little bit. Uh, you know, you're in the kidney. You've broken up some stones. What what is your uh, what tool do you use to manipulate stones intra within the collecting system? What do you use baskets? Do you use the metal graspers? What uh, do you use? So, look, I try and use the energy source to uh, break down and suck out everything. So, whatever's left behind that we need to uh, basket and work with. So, because I also have a flexible ureteroscope in the system, mm -hmm. I tend to work with a 1.5 French basket from Cook okay. as okay. Per the, uh, the end circle one. End circle, the, uh, yeah. Uh, that's a fantastic as a, as a main a basket. One. Correct, because we, yeah, yeah the circle is an excellent basket. I must say, I share that. Yeah, and I, I will also use yeah. it uh, in the in the track itself. So the Parkinson's yeah, exactly. circle, I think everyone agrees yeah. that's an excellent basket to be used in uh, in, in that modality. So yes, I share your your approach. Um, another area we should really talk talked on, and I don't know what you do in Sydney and what the general trend mm -hmm. is in Australia, is about the issue of tubeless PCNL. Do you ever undertake true tubeless PCNL, i.e. no drainage whatsoever after okay, PCNL? So the short answer is no. So I do tubeless in so far that I don't use a nephrostomy tube. So okay. um, I guess only a handful of cases a year where I have to put a nephrostomy tube in, but in general, um, I don't use any nephrostomy tube. But I always put a stent in, um, okay. in the patient afterwards. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we always wonder, is it nephrostomy for the patient's benefit or for the surgeon's benefit, really? It's a horrible thing to have sticking out of a patient's side. I must say I use it still, but I, more and yes. more, more I talk to my colleagues internationally, and I think I might be treating myself or treating the patient by putting a nephrostomy tube in. And do, is it, when you do a 24 French, Okay, for a mini PCNL, I can understand because you haven't really dilated too much, but when you are up to 24 French, do you consider putting a nephrostomy in at all? Not an issue, uh, I don't. Because um, the reason it's not necessary because, you know, what are you putting it in for? You're putting it in for uh, bleeding, uh, removing a clot, so you're putting it in for drainage in case there's sepsis or infection. Um, but what I found... Uh, and I've been doing this for about five years now where I haven't left the nephrostomy tube in, uh, is um, the renal parenchyma just reforms itself very quickly um, yeah. afterwards and it tamponades itself. So as long as, you know, most bleeding after piecing your track is venous because if it's arterial, you can't control it anyway. 
you know, <laughs> so if, they if, can if do you're going to be coming yes. back, you're going to be coming back in five days a week, or someone's going to be yes. doing yeah, yeah. So the idea of having a tractor tamponade, in my mind, makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. So, and if anything, if you put a if you put a tube in, it just prints it open. So correct because you because you, you can't let it reform. Are you doing it for sepsis control? Well, um, like I, as I say, I, I haven't had problems. I've done uh, infected stones, uh, you know, in terms of staghorns, um, using it, and it doesn't seem to be an issue. Look, the, the key point is is making sure you have a dry track, and there's no uh, uh, necessarily only ongoing bleeding. Yes. But obviously, if there's any concerns, you leave in the frost tubing. It's like a seatbelt. Um, Correct. You know, it's like a safety mechanism, to, isn't it? Yeah. Correct. You have to use it. You use it, and it's probably something more for re-entry. Is the way I think about it. Okay, that's a good it's point. Something that you know you can get a wire down, or you can put something down. You can get access back in. But in general, you know, I'm thinking just one operation, get in, finish it, uh, move on to the next patient, rather than having you know waiting for another procedure down the yes. track. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's it's one of those things. In the UK, most PCNLs are done up. Uh, with my colleagues leaving the frost mill because that's really the way we were trained. Yeah. The, the more I speak to my colleagues abroad and worldwide, uh, I'm challenging that that trend now. Uh, do yeah. it, why why is the frost in the air? You've done a perfect PCNL. There's no bleeding. Uh, risk of yeah. sepsis is low. If you leave a catheter yeah. or ureter catheter or stent, that's adequate drainage. So uh, yeah, I'm challenging. I'm challenging that thought at the moment, but it's just the way we like everything. People are used to doing pro PCNL. That's the way they were trained. Why should they change? So it's, it's just called, it's just it's changing dogma. The, dogma, yeah. exactly. It's just changing yeah. the, the narrative, yeah. and, and increasingly more and more urologists are doing this. I mean, and I'm, I'm really, it's really refreshing to get your thoughts on, on, on such a thing. Um, knowing that the risk of sepsis is within 24 hours or so. Do you ever actually perform true tubeless PCNL, i.e. no drainage? Uh, look, you can. No form of drainage. Okay. But in general, I don't find any benefit. And I yeah. think it's just taking an unnecessary risk on the risk. patient. because I share that. When, Absolutely. When I put a stent in, I usually put on a string tether, which comes out yes. the urethra from the bottom right. end. Correct. And if, I want to t- and if I want to take the stent out the following day, I just take it out the following day without having another stent. Uh, procedure so you know we just pull the stent tether out on the ward if necessary but um you know for me it's a little it's a step too far at this stage it's probably yes. uh, it's, it's unnecessary, unnecessary isn't it? yeah i agree i agree it's if you have a stent really... if you have a stented ureter if you ever had a pre-stented ureter then uh, i'd say look you'd probably uh, be able to get away with it more often than not but if you don't it's um you know you're just asking for problems yes I, yes fully, fully couldn't agree more so that, that's for sure. Another area of interest for me is just to understand the healthcare system in, in, in Australia. Um, if you put a stent in, how easy is it to get patients back in the public uh, to come back to have their stent removed? Because we struggle a bit in the, in the UK. Once you put a stent yeah. in, it can take several weeks before you can actually get the patient back for stent removal. So we try and use a stent on a string if we can. If not, they're committed to having a stent for several weeks and obviously the mobility uh, associated with it. In Sydney, do you, do you obviously get your patients back pretty promptly for stent removal? Uh, yeah, we have the identical issues. Um, so I usually like to use stent on strings just mm. so I can take them out in the office without um, uh, further endoscopy. 
So, but again, it's just different hospitals, different uh, practices. Uh, yes. That's what we do. I, I, yeah, I guess you, yeah. you have to look at your geog geograph geographical location yeah. and see what's av available locally, and you have to adapt really to serve the yes. patient uh, during that time. So another thing is around length of stay, and this is also yeah. an interesting area. Uh, on average, when you perform a PCNO, it's gone well. When do you send your patients home? Uh, the following day after they've had a CT scan. That's incredible. That's very good. So that you scan them the day day one post procedure. Yeah, we scan them day one just to see uh, if there's any fragments and if we need to bring them back at a later date for a flexible pyeloscopy. Uh, okay. But uh, we find that doing endoscopic combined, you know, we can usually clear them. But correct, just the clearance is higher, uh, isn't it? Oh, it's much higher. But you think you've cleared it all, and obviously when you do your CT scan, you realise that there's, there's always one fragment. There's, there's always, always one. Tiny, there's always one fragment that's, you know, somehow eluded yeah. you, despite your Correct. thorough, uh, thorough inspection of the collecting system. There's always a tiny fragment that's eluded you. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's day one. Yeah. But day one. Day one. Day one. Yeah. This is perfect. You know, and it, again, it's yeah. similar thing. Trends trends vary. In UK, uh, you know, some doctors keep patients two to three days post procedure. Again, yeah. are you treated? Are you yeah. treating the patient or yourself? Um, yeah. But in, in honesty, our risk of sepsis, as long as your risk of bleeding and risk of sepsis are low, are low, there's absolutely no reason why the patient can't go home day one. Again, I'm a strong advocate for that. And um, Absolutely. Yeah. Day one's the best, but look, sometimes you can't achieve it. I, I have no problem with leaving a patient yeah. in the hospital for a few extra days or as long as necessary. But in general, um, you know, day one. But look, I've yes. only been able to achieve that in the last three or four years, you know, last few years. So the learning curve's been high to get to this. Uh, yeah. way of doing it. And, I, I think it, uh, takes, yeah. it takes years of confidence, isn't it? You have to have done a few under your belt uh, as a consultant before you start making yeah. this um, or feeling comfortable making this uh, this sort of de decisions, especially when your patients are lounging in, in the hospital. You go and see yeah. them day one post-op. Yeah. They're up and about reading the newspaper. They're walking around. They're like, <laughs> you know, can I yeah. go home? <laughs> so that once you've seen a few of those, you're, you're more confident, reassured that you're doing the right thing. By sending the patients at home day one. Yeah, if you, if you don't leave a nephrostomy tube in, uh, they behave like a flexible pyeloscopy, uh, flexible ureteroscopy case. It, it's interesting. I find that once it? you leave so, it, yeah. Are we, are we doing more harm with a nephrostomy, do you think? I think there's more morbidity with it. And, yes. uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I've been comfortable enough in my practice now not to, uh, not to require it, except on uh, special, you know, yeah. special occasions. Okay. Well, listen, there's one area we haven't talked about really is about the whole issue of radiation uh, doing PCNL. Um, you know, what, what mechanism do you use to try and reduce your radiation uh, for PCNL? Do you use orbsan guidance? Do you do fluoroscopic guidance uh, when performing your yeah. track or yeah. both? Yeah, so uh, it is an excellent question. It's something I drilled into my registrars in that they use too much radiation. There's there are two ways yes. about it. Um, so, so how you limit it is obviously uh, a good technique to get a, a good quality track. So with endoscopic combined, we can get a track in, and this is when I say we, I say the uh, the registrars, the trainees, they can do it first go pretty well at whatever level, purely because we do a bullseye system okay. and it goes, uh, and we line it up in such a way it goes straight in. So that's probably okay. the, the best way of limiting your radiation use is to have it a, a good technique to allow your track to go in efficiently. 
The um, you know the other ways is sometimes we use uh, forceps, um, you know, the art using artery forcep, uh, which uh, Professor John Denstead uh, technique. Yes. Um, when I was training with him, I still use it to this day when I do uh, prone bull's eye. Uh, I think that has a role. Um, you know, with the, you do with have the to use eye? radiation. Yep. Sorry, please. Obviously, keep your hands out of the field when you can. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just in principle, in mantra, and having a good technique and being um, conscious of radiation and its cumulative effects. It's an invisible uh, yes. uh, environmental it's, it's, pollutant. Correct, correct. And talking about the bullseye technique, do you find that with the bullseye technique, your hand tends to come in, in, the, in the field of play a bit more? That's why we use the uh, artery uh, forceps. The forceps, so, um, yes. Yeah, and that keeps your hand out of the out of the uh, uh, out of the radiation field. Okay, and it's interesting when you mentioned you do endoscopic combined uh, approach. Do you ever use the endoscopic view to guide your puncture? All the time, if possible. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the only. That's the only rule I find the biggest advantage of endoscopic combined in that it makes the track production, provided you can see the calyceal system that you want to puncture from the inside, because it gives you the third dimension yes. in your, um, in your yeah. landmark. And you can see the needle puncture at first go. And um, it's just beautiful. It takes the mystery out of the operation. It really isn't a complicated <laughs> yes. operation once, once you do that. Obviously, in some cases, you can't do it because the stone's in the way. Yes. But if, um, but if you can physically see the... Uh, calyx that you want to puncture it's usually first go every go for the trainee uh, okay. and it's just as long as they know the technique and they line it up uh, it, it goes and, in so and and speaking of uh, radiation again i don't know what other protector obviously wear a lead gown what about gloves yeah. do you wear radiation protected uh, gloves no. or, or goggles radiation protected goggles because no. our eyes our eyes are very much exposed when we're doing pcnl you're very close to the source of the radiation yeah. Um, I wonder whether you have any thoughts on on this, whether gloves um, or eye protection. So I don't wear gloves. It's not something that we have at our institution. Uh, I should be wearing eye protection, but I don't. <laughs> I did have a pair previously. Um, but look, uh, we don't try and uh, hang around too much with the radiation. But look, I, I take your point exactly. I think um, eye protection is uh, absolutely vital and especially for the trainees. Yeah, I don't think it's something we take as serious, as serious enough, really. You know, you know your yeah. retina, you've only got two of them, and the amount of radiation, Correct. if you're doing a lot of endo-urology, uh, they are getting hit quite quite a lot. Absolutely. So it's something, it's something we, we do need to perhaps think about uh, increasingly. Um, yeah, because the, probably for know. cataracts as well. Yeah, yes. cataracts, isn't it a, uh, increases your risk profile? Um, think about one or two percent, and can't tell, remember exactly, but yeah, it's an invisible pollutant that we need Correct. to be very mindful, not just for us, but for our trainees and for this other staff in theatre. Excellent. Well, thank you, Professor yeah. Koo. We're getting yeah. towards the end of our uh, discussion today. I, I wonder whether you have any uh, final points or comments you'd like to make for our listeners today. Um, look, I think uh, it's very good that Cook and yourself have put on this podcast because um, you know, with PCNL, um, like everything, it has to change. 
it is changing and everything's improving. Uh, and I think we should all explore all the different techniques. And, you know, there's prone, there's supine. I don't think there's, it's a one-size-fits-all model. You know, I'm hearing a lot on these podcasts that people just say, look, you just have to do this supine now. This is the way to go. You know, this is the only way to go. And then some other people go, oh, well, uh, nothing beats uh, prone. I think um, there's a place for both. Uh, I have my own biases, um, but uh, I think for both techniques, as long as you can achieve uh, have a technique that achieves complete stone clearance in a patient in a single operation uh, for as long as you can. Obviously, um, it's not always possible. And in some very complicated cases, it's not possible to achieve it, but we should aim for it. Right. And uh, PCNL is um, getting a resurgence. And I think it's very important that the new generation are trained well. Well, Professor, Professor Kud, uh, thank you very much uh, for that. And uh, on behalf of the Journal of Endourology and the Endourology Society, I would like to thank uh, the faculty today, which is Professor Raymond Koo, our consultant urologist and clinical associate professor of the University of Sydney, Australia, for participating in, the, in this highly educational podcast. Professor Koo, it's been highly um, educational chatting to you today. Thank you very much for your time.